Welcome to the Bible Mind Podcast, where we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to see everything in life from a biblical mindset. Hi everyone, Theophilus here, and we are continuing our study in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and the names of Jesus. We have finally come to our last name, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, as I was thinking about the names of Jesus, I was reminded of that verse in the Old Testament, Proverbs 18.10, which states, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And I was thinking about how the word of God protects us in so many different ways. So I went into this particular verse and I broke it down a little bit just to understand it in a deeper way. And that's what I tend to do when I go into Bible study is if there's a verse that particularly strikes my heart or interests me, then I like to go into the different words and to see what those words mean. Because the more we know about those words, the more we know about that verse, the more meaning we can extract from it. And the deeper we go, the more we can really receive the benefit from that verse, that passage, etc., So that's just been my philosophy of Bible study, period. The whole reason why we're going in depth into these names of Jesus is because there are a multitude of names for Jesus. There are a multitude of names for God. And yet, John, by the Holy Spirit, wrote down these names in Revelation chapter 1 in describing Jesus. For the persecuted church in his day, but then also for the end times church closer to our day as we head nearer and nearer to the soon return of Jesus Christ. So when I looked into the word strong, of course it means strong, but it also means firm. And part of the meaning even has the definition of to prevail. And I believe this is a great Bible study tip. I already know what the word prevail means, but I just like to look at the dictionary definitions in the English dictionary, just to see what it says. Because I've had my eyes open to see so many different things just by looking at an English dictionary of a word that's used. To prevail means to prove more powerful than opposing forces, to be victorious. Another definition could be to gain ascendancy through strength or superiority, to triumph. Like, how cool is that? That's tremendous. And that's all because I didn't take for granted the word strong, but I looked into the Hebrew meaning of that word. Sometimes when you look into the original languages, you'll find the same thing. But other times, you'll see layers of meaning or you'll see different definitions for that word that you didn't expect. It's always good to check it out and see. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's just not high, but it will give you victory over the forces that oppose you and over your enemies when you run into that name. Now I want to go into the word tower in the Hebrew. And one aspect of its meaning is an elevated stage or pulpit by which one gives a speech or message. Okay, so when I see that, I'm kind of thinking like, wow, I never associated tower with 
a platform to give a message. Now that I'm thinking about that, I incorporate that into the significance of what it means for the Lord's name to be a strong tower, which is pretty interesting because whenever we trust in the name of the Lord, whatever name I look to him for, whatever name I trust him for, and I run into that name and I seek refuge in that name, I'm actually building a platform by which I could proclaim his faithfulness, his goodness, his power, because that will be demonstrated in my life. For example, if I'm looking to the Lord to be a good shepherd in my life, then I pray into that. I seek him. I declare that he is a good shepherd. I trust him for that. And then he begins to really guide me. I see his protection in different ways. I see that he provides for my needs. I see the evidence for it that he is a good shepherd because he's responding to my prayers. He's responding to the faith and the trust that I'm putting in him in order to be that in my life. Because these names reflect the character of Jesus, the character of God. So when I experience what I have looked to him for, then I have a place where I can give a testimony. There's that raised platform by which I can share a message about Jesus, share a message about God. It could work with any of his names. But here in Revelation chapter 1, we're talking about these significant names to prepare the end times church by looking to Jesus to manifest his character in our lives in these particular ways. And if you think about the first occurrence of the word tower, it was in Genesis 11 when the people of the earth at that time, they sought to build a tower of Babel. So a tower reaching the heavens. They wanted to make a name for themselves and basically that message that they were proclaiming from that tower was, God, we don't need you to have a great civilization, to have a great earth. We're going to make it for ourselves, and we're going to make sure that we are the gods of this earth. So they spoke that message loudly and clearly. And trust me, as we get closer and closer to the end times and towards the end of the book of Revelation, they're going to do the same exact thing. They're going to build a one-world government. They're going to build that Tower of Babel again, where they proclaim, God, we don't need you. Jesus, we don't need you. Now, what am I proclaiming when I hide in the name of the Lord? I'm proclaiming not only that I trust him, but when he demonstrates his goodness in my life, and when that name proves to be real and confirms everything that the word says about God, then that glorifies God. It shows the different people around us that God is who he says he is. And also, when you think about strong towers, they're to protect us, right? Because the last part of that verse says, and they are safe when they run into this name. And I looked up the word safe as well. So this is how I'm breaking down the verse, because I want to get as much from that verse as possible. And so I go into the original Hebrew. It says to be high, to be inaccessibly high, too high for capture, secure out of harm's way. And I really like that because it's not only physical protection, and we've all had those situations where we were in danger, but the Lord protected us. 
hedge of protection that we could feel. And he graced us out and he helped us to get through that situation as needed. But I was also thinking like when something is high and lofty, that is a perspective that we can have that is above everything that troubles us, above our enemies, above the things that seek to attack us and undermine us and tear us down. And we need that protection because when we have God's perspective, when we have God's name, it guards us in every way, including our mindsets, our heart, our spirit, the way we perceive our situations. Instead of being troubled by fear and anxiety, I can dominate the situation from a high place. I am seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God with Christ Jesus. I'm in that strong tower of the name of the Lord. And they say that about battle. The army that has control of the higher ground has the advantage. We need to lift our perspective. I can dominate the situation from a place of power, love, and of a sound mind. And I would like to just give you one example from my life. There have been these key verses that I've held on to when I was younger in my Christian walk. And one of them was James 1, 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or variation of turning. First of all, I committed that verse to memory. You know, when you're younger, you have a lot more, I would say, temptations or things that would draw you into the world what the Bible would call youthful lusts and keep you from really giving yourself fully to God. And so I had those things tugging at me, pulling at my life. And I memorized that verse and I would keep on declaring that verse whenever I had a situation or I'd pray into that verse when I felt tempted towards something or, you know, I wanted to go in a worldly direction rather than towards God. I would always look to that verse. It protected me from giving in to things that just were of lesser value. It may not have been a temptation towards sin, but like just say it was just something in the world. As that saying goes, oftentimes the enemy of what is best is what is good, or rather what we perceive as good from a worldly perspective. In that verse, there's that name, Father of Lights. When you just focus on it, it's like, okay, God is not going to lie to you. He's not going to tease me or deceive me, but I can trust him that what he's going to give to me is good and perfect. What he would call good, not what the world calls good. I just decided long ago that I wanted what God wanted for me. And that was it. And I just had to trust him. We could hide in God's name, but we can also hide in the truth of the word of God. So I hid in that verse. It was a strong tower for me. I could be put on high above the attacks of the enemy, the temptations of the enemy, but I could also see from a different perspective, right? I could see that God's ways are better. What God has for me is so much better than what the world has for me and what the enemy is using right now to draw me in a different direction. So that's just one example of how God's name could really protect us. Now, this name of Jesus, the ruler over the kings of the earth, this is so important. 
In the King James Version, it says the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, that word prince, it sounds like he's underneath or he's of a lesser rank. So I don't really like that word. But going into the Greek, you will see the word ruler. For that reason, I think prince was actually a mistranslation. It'd be more the idea of king of kings, lord of lords. The Greek uses the term as ruler, commander, chief, leader. It's the first in rank or power. Why is that important? Because so many leaders around the world right now, they are exerting power over their citizens. They're collaborating with one another and having these schemes and strategies to take even more power in the earth. And we can see it happen. And there are extremely wealthy people. They own so much. They have so much power. And they don't have good designs for the people of the earth. They have evil designs. And it was the same back in John's day where you had the emperors of Rome. And some of them were really cruel. And they would persecute the Christians. They would even light them up as torches back in that day. They sought to stamp out Christianity And they basically dominated their areas. Rome was like that. Rome was a very crushing power. In Daniel 7, Daniel recalls a dream that he had about the empires of the world. So he gives a description of this Roman empire. Verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. That was the empire during John's day. And the Antichrist kingdom that will arise in the end will be a revived Roman empire. So it will have similar characteristics. There will be a cruelty to it. There will be a dominating factor to it, a ruthlessness to it. Even though the Antichrist first wins everybody over by being, quote unquote, a man of peace. So out of this Roman Empire will come the Antichrist kingdom. So when I think of Jesus as ruler over the kings of the earth, then I know that no matter what type of leadership is happening around the globe, what kind of dictators are being raised up, what kind of force they're using and the policies that they're enforcing that are so anti-Christ, and even we can say anti-human, there is one that has power above them all, and that is Jesus Christ. And no matter how out of control the situation may look, he's going to come back, and he is going to destroy his enemies. He is going to make every wrong thing right. And I just have to meditate on that and focus on that because the end of the story is not these people rising to power and taking over. And they're just going to have a kingdom where they continually oppress people. No, Jesus is going to come back. So when I think about that, it protects my mind. It protects my heart from anxiety, from the attacks of the enemy, from the lies of the enemy, from giving into fear right? So I'm being placed in that strong tower. I'm being lifted high. I have now a perspective that can come from God rather than the things of the world. 
And that can give me a unique way of seeing that helps me to not give way to fear and anxiety. So I just want to encourage you with that because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And we need to like hold on to these names. We need to memorize them. We need to meditate upon them. And we need to, just like what I did in my early Christian walk, find those key verses that we can memorize, that we can declare whenever we feel those attacks from the enemy coming on. Whenever we feel those temptations, we can use the word of God as that one offensive weapon, right? It's the sword of the spirit. The word of God is that powerful. And if you were to learn how to use this sword, if you were to really run into that strong tower, you will experience the safety of it for yourself. And right now, I just want you to know that when Jesus comes back, he will have these three main identities, or you could say faces of Jesus when he comes back. One, and we've already discussed this, he's going to be the bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride. Two, he's going to be the king. He is the king of the earth. All the nations of the earth legitimately belong to him. And the third face of Jesus is judge. He will come back again to judge the earth. And there are many different verses that can support each of these faces of Jesus. And I encourage you to look them up. But one that I will share right now, this is Proverbs 6:34. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. That's part of the reason why the wrath of God is going to be so heavy during the end times is it's mixed in with this jealousy that Jesus, our bridegroom, feels towards us. He's very protective over his bride, and he is jealous over the things that would draw her away from him. He's also angry with people who would seek to hurt his bride. There will be a fury. It's important that we know and understand these three faces because it's not just Jesus is the bridegroom, so he is love and he's going to come back in love and he's just going to rapture his church at a certain point. No, he is also the king. And so those people who are trying to be king in his place, they're going to come into conflict with Jesus. If we don't understand these faces of Jesus, then we may have an incomplete picture of who he is and what we can expect when he comes back. There are many Christians right now that are being steered in the wrong direction, and they're being set up for a fall. At the very least, they're going to be very disillusioned, possibly offended. And it may take a long time to process this new Jesus, time that they may not have to process it all. So this is the time that we want to process these three faces of who Jesus will be when he comes back. Bridegroom, king, and judge. And if you're not familiar with these other faces of Jesus, I just encourage you to find those verses, do a topical study of Jesus as the judge, Jesus as the king. There are different parables in the gospel talking about him as king. I would just meditate upon those things because that's the reality of who we will encounter when he finally does come back. That leads me to my next point is that's why the people of the earth have such a problem with Jesus. 
because in our fallen human nature, we want the power. We want to rule. We want the Tower of Babel again. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to reach heaven for ourselves and not have to depend upon God, not have to be under his rule. And that's what you see in Psalm 2. Here are verses 1 through 3. It says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. God responds in verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So are the rulers of the earth collaborating with one another, scheming together to throw off God's rule? Yes, they are. You could call it whatever you want. The global elite, the Illuminati, the UN, all these different names. And they think that they're scheming together to have one world government. But underneath it all, what they're scheming to do is overthrow God's rule to not have another king over them. They want to be the kings of the earth. They don't want King Jesus to rule and reign on this earth, and they do not want to submit to his rulership. This is how Jesus puts it in Luke 19, verse 27. And I'm reading from the NIV. He called them those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them. Later in that parable, they are killed In knowing Jesus' heart, we can understand that he does not want to kill them. But really, there is no other choice because they will not accept the rule of Jesus. So they will gather together and seek to fight him in order for the control of the earth. And that's part of this whole battle over Jerusalem. The armies of the earth will surround Jerusalem in order to destroy it. And there are just two things that I want to mention. One, Jerusalem is very important because the prophecies state that Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. If there is no Jerusalem, if there is no Israel, then he won't be able to do that. And there's another prophecy in Matthew 23, verse 39. Jesus said this to his people, but more specifically, the leadership of his people. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Jews already recognize that the only person that they would say that about or say that to would be their Messiah. So essentially, they need to recognize Jesus as their Messiah before he comes back to rule and reign. This was his stipulation. That's the reason why for all of the anti-Semitism, the Holocaust, all coming from Satan. If the Jews are not present to recognize Jesus as their Messiah, then Jesus will not come back. Satan is trying every possible way to stop Jesus from coming back. These are all issues that affect our world today, but people don't always see their connection back to the Bible. You could even say this is why the Catholic Church calls Vatican City the Holy City. That's where the Pope resides. And to the Catholics, he's supposed to be Christ's literal representative on earth. They wanted to move the holy city from Jerusalem to Vatican City. 
So we disconnect from the Jews, we disconnect from their history with God, and we make the Vatican City the holy city. That's just one example of how the rulers of the earth, including the religious rulers, have separated themselves from the Jews, Jerusalem, and therefore the future rule and reign of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on earth the first time, his presence, his ministry created a lot of conflict for both the religious rulers of his day and also the political rulers. Even his arrival was very threatening. This is a setup for next week's message. I didn't expect this to be a two-parter, but I kind of have a shortened amount of time. Next week, we're just going to go over how Jesus as king is so unsettling for a lot of different kinds of people and why that's the case. I think it'll be eye-opening for you because we could also talk about the religious leaders that we have in Christendom today who may or may not be unsettled by the whole issue of Jesus's return. I hope you join me next time because I want to show you yet again the relevance of the Word of God for today. Until next time, take care.